0: Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we all today? Good, that's the response I wanted. I was really worried it was going to be like a, yeah, you're right, guys? Yeah, okay. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben, uh, and today I get to continue our series in the book of James, looking at the next section of chapter one. Um, Andrew kicked us off very kindly last week, where we had a bit of an introduction into who James is and what he's all about. Uh, But if I can try and summarise that to give us just a bit of framing before we go into it. So James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's the son of Mary and Joseph. And he was one of the earliest leaders in the first Christian communities that were formed. He led that for about 20 years or so. If you want to learn more, uh, I'd encourage you to look in Acts 15 and Galatians 1 and 2. Uh, the book itself appears to be written a bit like a letter. Like we've seen uh, this this in other parts of the Bible, like we've just come out of a series in Corinthians not that long ago, which was a book written to the people in Corinth. And that um, seems to be a bit what it's like for this book, but it's not quite the same thing. Well, this is actually more of a... A summary of all the wisdom that James has picked up over the years. It's kind of like condensed it all into one short book for us. This wisdom um, is influenced heavily by the teachings of Jesus. We see a lot of influence from the Sermon on the Mount in that, but also things from uh, the book of Proverbs, but also just wisdom that he's picked up along the years of leading a church of early Christians, that sort of thing. Um, the book itself is very direct, just kind of spoiler warning for you all this morning. He's quite down the line with it. He doesn't like to beat around the bush with certain issues. You could almost say he's a bit of a James Blunt. I've got to to tell you, that's that's my best one, so if that's that's the response I get, yeah, just set your expectations there. But James wants to basically focus in on certain things to help us draw out what can help us grow in our faith. It sometimes feels like tough medicine to swallow with James, but it's good medicine. So I thought perhaps before we actually kick off, um, we could pray together that God would give us hearts and ears that are ready to receive everything here. So let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the wisdom of your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would give us ears that are ready to hear everything that you have to say and hearts that are ready to receive, be challenged and changed by what you want to say to us today. Amen. Okay, so, I want you to think about the last time that you watched a film trailer that instantly made you know, oh, I've got to go and see that film when it comes out. You know, we've all been there in the cinema, the trailers are on, the popcorn's mostly already gone, and you turn to your friend and say, we've got to go and see that film. For me, it was the latest Mission Impossible film, having that iconic music playing of shots of Tom Cruise doing his famous run, and then pulling off death-defying stunts that his insurance company must not thank him for. When that came out, I knew I had to go and see it. You see, trailers are designed to get a reaction from us. They're designed to get a response. They're crafted in a way to instantly make us want to go out and watch that film. But the important part of the trailer is what happens next. It's the response. It's the action. Similarly, that's what James is getting at in the passage that we're looking at today. He's trying to focus in on what our response should be when we look at God's word. Now, the passage itself, it talks about the word quite a bit. And in this context, it basically just means the Bible. Like, that's probably an oversimplification, but it's scripture, it's the Bible. So if you see the word, that's, that's what it means. So I think it's broken up our response into three helpful sections, which is handy for a talk. Uh, so firstly here so if you've got your bibles open it'll be on the screen as well but it's helpful to have it in front of you sometimes if that's so open on your phone whatever works for you so verse 19 and 20 my dear brothers and sisters that's that's us by the way that's me and you take note of this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that god desires You know, when we first read this, it could seem like James is trying to give us some kind of surface level proverb about listening more and being slow to get angry. But what he's actually doing is he's trying to address an internal struggle that each of us have when we open the Bible. James is a very practical person. So if we think he's trying to help us read the Bible better, we would surely expect some kind of Bible plan or when we should fit in our quiet time or what time of day is best for it. And of of course, those things are good. But James is instead choosing not to talk about those, but to cut to the core of the issue. What he's doing is he's addressing the attentiveness of our spirit when we open God's word, the attentiveness, the focus of our spirit when we open it. What he's essentially saying is if our heart is not in the right place when we open God's word, then we won't get everything that's possible out of it. If we're just going through the motions when we read God's word, then we're not hearing everything that it has to say. Now, now why, why do I think that that's what he's saying? Why do I pull out that conclusion? Well, what I think James is doing, he's using external characteristics to highlight an internal flaw or problem to help us go deeper with God. Now, let me say that again. He's using external characteristics, so our daily interactions, the way we talk to people, the way we are. He's using those to highlight and address internal things to help us go deeper with God. So what are they? He says we need to be quick to listen and slow to become angry with human anger. Why? Why is that important? Okay, well firstly, well, our life with God, our relationship, shouldn't just be some segregated part of our life. Something that we only do on a Sunday to put in a tick in a box. Something that we only do Christmas and Easter time. It needs to be something, and it should be something, a relationship with God. Something that envelops all that we are, that touches every part of our lives. And so what he's saying here is that if we build in a habit to be a good listener in our day-to-day, then when it comes to spending time with God, reading his word, we will have a more attentive ear. You know, if we, have, if we don't have an ear that's ready to hear in our day-to-day lives, if we're not good listeners, then how can we expect to be good listeners to what God wants for us? Equally, controlling our temper will allow us to become a better listener as well. Uh, it's important to note at this point that James doesn't say it's important that we don't get angry. He clarifies it for us and says it's important that you don't get angry with human anger. You see, there's a, there's a difference between God's anger, which is righteous and justified and pure, and our anger, our human anger, which we all carry around a bit of, which is normally filled with things like pride or self-importance and, and stubbornness, that sort of thing. If we carry around human anger, it can suddenly become very difficult to be a good listener. If someone's made you angry, it suddenly becomes a lot more difficult to listen to them. Like if I spilt coffee on someone before the service, you'd probably be sat there going, I'm not listening to this guy. <laughs> One writer puts it like this. He says, the great talker is rarely the great listener, and never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over. So let's just hit pause on that for a second, let's think, and I'll have a drink. In our day-to-day lives, are we being a good listener? Would those that interact with us on our commute, uh, in school, at home, in our workplace, would they say that we are someone who is slow to get angry? Is there any anger that we're holding on to for someone that we need to deal with and put right? Right. You see our day to day our our out and about is our training ground for our time with God what we do externally affects our approach internally and everything we do should be moving us to a place to go deeper in relationship with God Okay so firstly receive sorry firstly here I'm getting ahead of myself secondly receive verse 21 Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Okay, so what what does it mean in this context to have the word planted inside of us? Well, this word specifically is the only place in the entirety of the Bible that this specific Greek word is used. What it means is to have something that occurs within you naturally not something that's learned or taught to you but something that already sits inside of you i thought about how to try and summarize it but one particular preacher a guy called tim keller who sadly passed away recently puts it like this and i think he just really nails it most information is acquired through listening and reading but this verse means that when you're a christian some information the essentials about God, about sin, about who we are as a sinner, who we are in Christ, what Jesus has done to reconcile us with God—the essential truths are planted in you. It's part of you. Some of you might know that I am a football fan. I am a fan of Ipswich Town Football Club. Do I? I, I hesitate to ask this question. Do I have any Ipswich fans in the room? That's what I expected, which is good because I haven't prepared notes if there are. Um, Basically, what happens is, because I live outside of Ipswich, I know that it's rare that I'm actually going to find someone that supports Ipswich. But when I do, when I do find someone, like I've seen people walking around Birmingham in Ipswich Tops and we just have a little chat sometimes, because you have an instant connection with somebody who supports the same football team as you. We can bond over the, like, the dark years under Roy Keane, but actually now our, our optimism, now we got promoted this season and we're playing Sunderland at five o'clock, which we're going to absolutely smash them. <laughs> In a similar way to when I have an instant connection with someone who supports the same team as me, that's what James is talking about with our approach to the Bible. He's saying that this, this nature that can be found inside of us is it's threaded within the pages of the Bible. So much so that that reading the Bible shouldn't be just some kind of intellectual experience. It should be something that grows this nature and brings us closer to God. You know, if we're Christians here today, we need to address the fact that the Bible is here to bring us closer to God. And if it's not doing that, then we really need to get into it more. I'm saying that to myself as well. Please don't think this is me saying, like, you guys need to do this, I'm sorted. Very much not the case. I'm preaching to myself just as much as that. I just want to pause here and say that if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you wouldn't say that's been your experience, um, then my encouragement to you is to, is to keep exploring, is to keep reading, is to keep asking questions, to go deeper. The Bible says that each of us Every single one of us was lovingly made. Was lovingly made. And so within all of us is this nature. All of us were created, as the Bible says, in God's image. So it means that there's this nature that is reaching out to find the one thing that can bring it true stability, true comfort, and true freedom. The amazing thing about Christianity is that we don't have to sort ourselves out before coming to God. We're we're never going to be perfect. So every day we have to humbly accept God's never-ending grace. A grace that is made possible because he chose to take our punishment upon himself. When we were singing it this morning in, um, I think it was our third song, I just just was really struck by the words in verse 2 of Living Hope. It said, Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. But the truth of the gospel is the next part of the song says, The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. Oh, it's just, it blows my mind every time I think about it. I just love it. Every person here who called themself, or would call themselves a Christian has been through, and in my experience, goes through on a daily basis the process that's described in uh, verse 1. So if we could pop that back up on the screen, that'd be really useful. So there's three parts to it. Firstly, get rid of all moral filth and evil. That is so prevalent. As I've said, the thing about Christianity is that we don't have to sort ourselves out, get our ducks in order to, before we can come to God. Instead, we say yes to God. To a relationship with Him, and then we get to partner with Him to work to remove those things that pull us away from Him. You know, we're we're surrounded by so many temptations in this world. So taking uh, practical steps to try and remove those things, maybe not listening or watching certain things, things like that, that can help us draw closer in relationship to God. Secondly, humbly accept the word planted in you. I think we have to act try to remove our pride when we open God's Word. We have to humble ourselves to receive his wisdom. Perhaps for you that means praying before you read the Bible, similar to how we did at the beginning, asking God to remove any pride from you and, and give you a heart that's receptive to being challenged in that way. And then thirdly, which can save you? We have to then take comfort in the truth of the gospel we can rest in the truth that Jesus has made a way for us to have a relationship with him in this life and in the next. Okay, so firstly, here. Addressing our characteristics and our daily interactions so that we are more prepared to hear what God has for us. Secondly, receive. Humbling ourselves to accept God's grace to grow closer with him. And recognising the alignment between The nature inside of us and who we are in Him and what's in His Word, the Bible. Thirdly, and lastly, in case you're worried, thirdly and most importantly as well, do. Verse 22 is probably the most important verse that we're going to read today. If you take nothing else, please just take verse 22 and then we'll read to verse 25. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard but doing it they will be blessed in what they do. Some of you may know that I work in an office building in the city centre, Uh, and one of the things that I've somehow managed to get myself signed up to was to be a fire warden for our office. It's probably because I'm tall and loud and easy to to follow, but you can make that assessment for yourselves. But basically what that means is when we have a test, thankfully we've had no real ones yet, so you know keep praying for that. Um, When we have a test, I have to throw on a very fetching high-vis jacket and go to different sections of the office to announce the fact that we're going to be evacuated and that the alarm needs to be listened to. We're not just testing it. The reason we do this, of course, is because we need to let people know that they're not just testing it and that they need to do what it says. Well, in a way, I mean, I say in a way, my notes say in a way, but I'm pretty sure it's spot on. That is what James is saying for us to do here. He's spelling it out to us in black and white that as Christians, we cannot just read the Bible, close it, forget everything and move on. We have to act on it. Like a fire alarm, the wisdom of the Bible should not just be shrugged off and ignored. James actually wants to hit this point so hard home to us that he gives us an analogy. He talks about someone who looks in a mirror, walks away, and instantly forgets what they look like. He then immediately contrasts it with someone who looks into the perfect law, which is, again, just another word for the Bible, perseveres with it, and then acts on it. This, um, this side-by-side comparison is designed to show us that every time we open the Bible, we have a choice. We can either read it, move on, completely forgetting everything that it says, and make no alterations. Or, we can read it or hear it, we can uh, think over it reflect prayerfully work through it persevere with it and let it change us for the better but why why would we want to be changed by a perfect law well god's word the bible is perfect because he knows us his word the bible offers it offers us a true reflection of our broken condition And gives us the opportunity to ask for and receive God's forgiveness. Let me say that again. God's word offers us a true reflection of our broken condition that we all know deep down we are. And gives us the opportunity to ask for and receive God's forgiveness. Because we were created in God's image, we can live life to its fullest when we express his likeness in what we do. Let me say that again. So because we were created in God's image, we can express his likeness and live life to its full. That's why it says a perfect law that gives freedom. You know, we need to act on God's word. That's the truth of it. If you take nothing else away from today, please hear that, that we need to act on God's word. You know, if we we spend time reading the Bible, that's great. But if it has no impact on us, it doesn't change our actions, our thoughts, our interactions, our choices, then we're missing the key part of what it's asking us to do. Just like in a trailer, the key part is the action that comes after it. And I again want to say that I've very much seen this in my own life, in my own experience. God's word has changed me and made me a better man every single day. He's still changing me and challenging me on some really difficult stuff that I don't want to address, but he's like, no, you need to. You need to. When it comes down to it, James here is saying that as Christians, we are called to be different, to live lives that mirror Jesus. And follow the guidance of the Bible, not just conforming to our culture and what our friends or our families might think. You know, if we're Christians, we need to ask ourselves if we're following the instructions of God's word. Put, put bluntly, if we're Christians, we need to act like it. We need to show it. Just as I close and wrap things up coming into land, I want to pose a question to you, a final question. What could your do look like? What could your do look like? Is there a habit that you can feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit that you need to start building in? Or a characteristic that you perhaps need to work with God to address? Or maybe even it's taking a step with a person to invite them to something. What areas of our lives are we not following God's way? Are there any areas of our lives where we're actively going against God's way or maybe not actively going towards God's way? What's, what's he trying to get your attention on this morning? Whenever a preacher asks this and I'm sat in the congregation, normally nine times out of 10, there's something that I immediately know what it is. And I'm like, no, no, it's not that. I don't need to get prepped for that. No, I'll, I'll deal with it later. I, I, that's my moment of vulnerability there. But just ask him, Lord, what are you challenging me on? What do I need to hear? Because if that is you, if that is how you're feeling and God is challenging you or something, that please know that you're in good company for that. I've found this process of reflection and working through all of this uh, very challenging over the last week. I've had to really ask myself if when I open God's word, am I seeking him? Do I want to be challenged? Am I really open to being changed or am I just trying to put a bit of a mental tick in a box? I'm very, very much a work in progress, and I hope that we'd um, say that we all are. We all need his grace every day. So as we go into Monday and the rest of the week, let's, let's not walk away and instantly forget what we look like. Let's partner with God and with each other as a church family to become more like the people and the community that he calls us to be. People that are hearing and receiving from God's word and doing what Jesus asks us to do. I'm going to invite the band up and uh, we're going to have a time of response. And during that, I just encourage you to, in whatever way feels comfortable for you, to ask God Lord, what are you trying to get my attention on? Where do I need to be challenged? Maybe he won't answer tonight, but maybe in the quiet of your own home, when it's just you and him, you can ask him again, because he will answer you. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, BirminghamVineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.